Hi, friends. It's me, Adam, once again here to bring you another episode of this show that's full of great stuff about cannabis, weed, ganja, the green, whatever you're calling it these days. You know, that's what this show is about. That beautiful green plant that we all love so much. One of my favorite segments on this show is called A Time You Took the High Road, where people come on and tell stories about a time in their life that they've been high, where they've done something and, and it's been amazing, whether it's an experience or an action they took. But the key to the story is, is that before they experienced whatever happened in it, they were stoned. So today's show, it, it is going to be quick. I apologize for that. It's just going to be a time someone took the high road, and it's a good friend of mine. Join us for a quick smoke sesh and some amazing stories. So in another life, I hosted this thing called Madison Story Slam. It was a live storytelling event sort of similar to The Moth, and by sort of similar, I mean it was a direct ripoff. If you haven't heard of The Moth, what it is is they put on these live events where there's a theme, like the theme might be scars, and then people come and sign up to tell a true story from their life that is uh, five minutes long, I think, at The Moth. For us, we did five to ten minutes because I thought sometimes you need more than five minutes to get the point across. But so then the storyteller could take the theme of scars or whatever the theme was, and however they can relate a story back to their life, however they want to relate the story to scars, whether it's a physical scar, an emotional scar, or some weird out-of-left-field way that they can do it, that's fine. Along with the live show, we put it out as a podcast, and I did this for, I think, around eight years. So I have heard tons of stories. We did the live show mostly once a month, and we'd have anywhere between 10 to 15 storytellers. In the last two years that we did it, we were doing the show twice a month with the same amount of storytellers. So I have heard thousands of stories. It's my experience with Madison's Story Slam that makes me want to have an aspect of high friends that has storytelling. It's why I came up with the concept for the segment, A Time You Took the High Road, because I always want storytelling to be a part of every creative thing that I do. And to be honest with you, there's something about storytelling that just makes me feel better. I love the community that happens when people sit around and share stories with each other, because what's happening is we're saying to each other, here's a piece of me, please accept it, and please give a piece of you back to me in return. Maybe that sounds weird to you, but it is what is happening, and it's kind of magical. And to be perfectly honest with you, I have been pretty depressed lately and have had a really hard time focusing on anything but that. If you've ever experienced that type of depression, I'm with you. Solidarity. You know it sucks. If you haven't experienced that type of depression, bear with me. So I just thought, why not do an episode that's just funny stories or good stories about times with cannabis? Because that's what the show is about. It's about weed. We all know that. And I just needed some stories. I'm actually really excited about the story that you're going to get to hear. More so that I get to introduce you to the storyteller. His name is Marty Sosnowski. I know him as the Meat Man. The story behind the Meat Man goes that when he used to go to concerts in his youth, he would bring meat and throw it at people. And the, actually, the first time that I saw him, 
He came and told a story at Madison Story Slam and proceeded to throw hot dogs from the stage and hit a red wine glass that my grandmother had. It was her first time at Madison Story Slam and spilled that red wine all over her nice white sweater. Here's a little story about the meat man's last hurrah with weed. It's time for my Tonight's story is kind of similar to our first storyteller. It's about when I'm about to become a father and the pressure that I'm under at the time because really my life's coming to an end at this point. Getting to the point where I had just gotten married, have a girl pregnant, I'm going to have a child, I'm pretty much thinking my life is over because this is going to be a big change for me. So what do I do? I don't know what I'm going to do. Okay, well, I can do this, I figure. But before I change into a father and becoming a real man and getting the golden lunch pail and going to the mill every day, I got to go party one more time, at least one more time. So there's not much I can do. I've, I'm two years sober at this point, pulled myself out of the bottom of a whiskey bottle. My wife is three years sober from being a heroin addict. So we're doing really well at this point. Families are going like, they're getting it together, you guys. They really got this. They got, their get, they got married. They're going to have a kid. This is really going well for them because... Like I said, the past 10 years had, it was a little bit different. So I got to do, I got to have one more party before this is all over, before this is the end of my life. Now, my wife at this point is seven months pregnant. So what do we come up with? I got to go to a concert. Music has always been a big part of my life. So one more time, I got to go. And at this point in my life, all I'm doing is smoking a little bit of weed. And my wife says I'm going to have to put an end to that. So, uh, all right, well, I'm going to make one of those promises that I probably won't keep, but I'll give it a whirl. But before I do, we got to go to one more concert so I can get stoned and be at a rock and roll concert one more time before the end of my life. So there's not much going on. This is a, this is a long time ago. It's the late 70s. Blue Oyster Cult's coming to town. Well, that's about as good as it's going to get. In the early 70s, they were one of my favorite bands, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to go to Blue Oyster Cult, we're going to get stoned and have a good time, and if she's going to go agree to go along with this, going to be our last big party. Obviously, she's not going to partake. She's seven months pregnant. So my best friend Pat and his girlfriend and my wife, here we go off to the concert. Now, we got this all planned out. So that, you know, because they were pretty worried about the chance of us getting in some kind of trouble, getting busted. So what we decided to do, we couldn't smoke pot on the way there. We have a pregnant lady in the car and all that, and we're trying to be upstanding citizens. So we, we decided what we're going to do is we're going to pack one pipe full of some really good weed. We're going to take that into the concert. And at the opportune moment, we will smoke that, get stoned, and have the time of our life, and that's going to be the end of my life. Okay, so in the 70s, this was, you didn't want to get caught with weed, for sure. This was no fucking around, you know? So somehow we talked my wife, who's pregnant, into taking it in for us, because who's going to search a pregnant woman? Oh, she didn't like that, but she did it. So okay, so we get into the concert. Cheap Trick's the opening band. Now I call this story, I hate fucking Cheap Trick. 
And this was just the beginning of my hatred toward that fucking band. I ended up be working in the rock and roll business. I have a lot more stories about Cheap Trick. But this was the first time that they affected my life in a negative way. <laughs> so they're, in the, they're the opening act. So we get into the show. And in these days, it was at, it was at a big arena. The, the floor's open. There's no chairs on the floor. It's just standing room on the floor. So most people went to the floor. There was like two or 3,000 people on the floor. The place was packed. I'm pretty sure it was sold out because Blue Oyster Cult and Cheap Trick were both huge at the time. So there's like two or 3,000 people on the floor. We get my wife. The, the hockey boards are still up. It was in the wintertime, right around Christmas, New Year's. The hockey boards are up. They took the glass down. So we're on the floor. And you know how they have the doors to get in and out of the hockey rink. So we get into the show, and we strategically place my wife and her friend right in the back by one of the hockey doors so we could find them when we needed to. And they didn't really want to be up front anyway. Now, what you need to know is this comes in to be an important part of the story here in a couple minutes. So Cheap Trick gets done, finally, <laughs> and we decide, okay, well, before they're done, we're going to go smoke our weed. And so you, we, before they got done playing, because everybody's standing up, we go, the trick was is you go into the crowd, about 10 people. And in those days, people would help protect you from anybody seeing you. So people all gathered around us. Me and my friend Pat were sitting there smoking our bowl. Oh, man, we're doing fucking cheap tricks. They suck. But they're doing their encore. We're smoking our pot. And I'm sitting there, and I'm taking, like, the last hit of, of weed out of this pipe. And I look, and, and I'm facing the stage. My friend Pat is facing me. There's thousands of people around us. He's looking the other way, and all of a sudden, his fucking eyeballs get this big around. I'm not kidding you. And boom, he takes off into the crowd. And simultaneously, some Dick Tracy bastard from behind me, bam, down on the ground I go. Got the pipe in my hand. He's got a knee in my back, and he's fucking giving me some cop instructions about, oh my God. And, and there's like four of them, and they're coming in a line. And, 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 and the guys behind them, I hear them say, well, who, who else? And they just grabbed the kid next to me. So they grab this kid next to me, they grab me, they got, and they're, they're dragging us out of the crowd, and they're getting us out of there in a hurry, because in those days, the crowd would get testy, and they would start to, so they got us, they're fucking dragging us out of there. And like I said, I had my wife strategically placed by that door. Well, where the fuck do you think they're taking us? They are head, we're heading right for that fucking door. And I got, they got me, they got two cops on me, and they got this some kid behind me skicking, kicking and screaming about, I didn't do a fucking thing, man! And they're dragging us, and all of a sudden, here I see my pregnant wife coming up, and they're dragging me that way. And for those of you who know what the hairy eyeball is, you've never seen. You have never, ever seen a look on a woman's face like I saw that night. And they took me right by her, right by her with this kid behind me. And I'm just going like, oh, boy, happy New Year's, honey. So they take me, and she, her and her friend are going like, what the fuck? And her friend, her boyfriend wasn't with me anymore. And we went into the crowd together. And they're like, oh my God, and I'm going, what the fuck am I gonna do? So they haul me into this room where they keep all the people that they've arrested. And they get us in there, and they fucking chain me to this bench, which at this point in my life is not something that I haven't experienced before. I'm chained to this fucking bench, and this Dick Tracy guy's telling me how much fucking trouble I'm in. And he's, oh man, he's telling me I'm in all this fucking trouble and all this shit. And so, 
I had just kind of sitting there, and he goes, well, you know what, you son, you seem awful calm for somebody that's in the situation you're in. And I'm like, dude, there's a seven-month pregnant wife on the other side of that motherfucking door. And I said, you can keep me in here as long as you want. I said, trust me. I said, I have no desire to go out of that door right at this moment, because I said, I can feel that she's out there. So we're sitting there, and he's in, and the, so then they take me in, and this kid, uh, they've got this kid sitting there, and I, I still don't know who he is. I don't, he was just fucking standing there. And he's telling them, I didn't do nothing. And they're going, yeah, right, dude, okay, everybody. And they got him sit down, they got him cuffed. Well, they take, find out he's 15 fucking years old. And I'm like, oh, my God. So they take me in this other room, they strip search me, they don't find nothing, they bring me out. And uh, that's when I found out he was 15. And so Dick Tracy then tells me, son, now you're really in trouble. Now we got you contributing to a minor with drugs. This is going to start to rack up some felony charges. And I'm just like, oh, are you fucking kidding me? So they had to wait for the juvie guy to come in to search the kid. So they bring the juvie guy in to search the kid. They take him in the room. They come out. They talk to Dick Tracy. He's going, oh, he gets a big smile on his face. This kid has a big fucking bag of weed in his pocket. I mean, I'm not kidding you, it was over an ounce. So now the detective is going like, now we've got you on felony charges. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? And then he starts giving me one of these great speeches about, about how, what a shitty father I'm going to be. It's going to be two fucking years before I ever see my daughter again because I'm going to prison for whatever I just did. And, at, you know, I'm thinking, well, this might not be a bad idea, really, because what I got waiting for me on the other side of that door, uh, I don't know. So, in this kid, he's still, he was just standing next to me doing nothing. So, they come to find out the kid is on vacation, visiting his aunt and uncle, at this concert with his cousin, not doing a goddamn thing, and now he's in fucking jail for smoking weed with me, which he wasn't even doing. So, they, so to make a long story short, we, get, we actually get to fucking jail, and I don't know what, I don't know whatever happened to him. They, we actually rode in the, in the squad car together, me and this kid and one other guy. And this kid was balling just, I mean, balling to the point where he had snot running out of his nose. And I was just trying to go, kid, I, dude, I'm sorry about this, but I don't know what I can do. There's nothing I can do. And I actually wiggled out of my, out of my handcuffs at the time. So I was just sitting there going, and the cops going, what? So they get us in there. Into jail I go. They don't really tell me anything. They won't tell me what's really going on. So they put me in this holding cell. I get in there. There's about 40 people in there that they've busted from the concert. We're all in this big holding cell. One by one, they keep that people are calm and going. I'm thinking, okay, well, the wife's going to come and bail me out. It, so, you know, sooner or later, I'm going to have to face the music here. They keep coming, coming, coming. Pretty soon, it's just me and some drunk guy left. He's sitting there. I'm sitting there. And finally, about 3 in the morning, they come and get him, and he's gone. And I'm just sitting there all by myself. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And I don't really know what's, what's going on. They won't tell me. The night goes by. Nothing. Next day comes. They bring me my breakfast. Okay, I'm still in this cell all by myself. Noon comes, they bring me lunch. Nobody will tell me what's going on. Well, I, I learned some things in jail at the time. You, you know, you might as well put this to good advantage. There was some scribbling on the wall that was, must have been done in like a piece of charred wood where some guy wrote about, about praying to the devil while you're in jail and maybe it would help you get out or something. 
didn't really do any good. I tried, but and I also learned that with in these days you could smoke in jail. You could actually smoke cigarettes in in the jail, and so I learned that with matches you can do artwork on the ceiling of the jail. I learned that you write your name in matches. Everybody did that, so I did that. You know, kind of tried to keep my. Another night goes by. I'm still not out. So finally, some jailer came and told me. And I said, well, why am I not getting out of here? And he goes, dude, he goes, they got you on felony charges. And I didn't know this, but they can hold you for up to 48 hours on felony charges. They don't have to do nothing. They don't have to tell you nothing. They can just hold you for that long. So eventually, the wife finally came and got me and got me out of there. So needless to say, the pressure that I was under was, was increased tenfold at that point. But surprisingly, the marriage didn't last and all that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's probably not very shocking, but I tried to give it my best attempt. And you know what really surprises me more than anything is now, almost, this is almost 40 years later, and you can still be put in jail for almost exactly what happened to me. And that's so stupid. It is. It's so dumb. So, people, we got midterm elections coming up. Let's get out there and vote and try to change some of this stuff because it's stupid that this is still happening. But it made for a great story. So yeah, that's the meat man. That's my friend Marty Sosnowski telling the story of the time that he got arrested at a cheap trick Blue Oyster Cult concert. Marty spent many years as a rock and roll photographer and he has a ton of great stories. I'm sure that is not the last time we will hear from Marty on this show. Well, I told you guys it was going to be a quick one, and I am not going to break that promise, so we're going to end it here. Thank you so much for tuning in. I promise you in our next episode, I'll have something a little bit more in-depth for you. It was just a little hard these last two weeks between depression, a lot of busy stuff, and you know what? My wife is pregnant, and there's a lot of stuff going on there. So, again, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Hit us up on Instagram, and if you don't mind, leave us a rating and a review wherever you can, either iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you can. It's really appreciated, and I just hope you have a great rest of your day. Stay stony. Time to end, friends. Hi, Friends is a production of Mortarbox Media. So that guy's name was Meatman? Who, Marty? Yeah. Uh, do you think you could try and find somebody whose name is Weedman for this show? Time to end, my friends. Time to end our friends. Time.